the Academy Award-winning director, Steven Soderbergh. Brett Favre claims not to know what a podcast is. You know, I have a podcast, Brett. Did you know that? Um, no, you don't know what a podcast is. <laughs> Reggie Wayne, Brett Edward. I had a, a, a pet snake mm-hmm. by the name of Law. I'm not a snake fan. I don't like snakes. Buy the snake in the house. I get a, a, a text on my two-way. Law dead. <laughs> Chris Cooley threatened to prank call me. Steven, how are you? This is David Dunn. Did I see No, you didn't because I'm recording this thing right oh, now, no, dude. No, no. This You're is the, the podcast. Uh, you the Andy best. Reed did not call Tim Tebow last night. <laughs> too much. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us. I'm Richard Eisen. I don't download many podcasts, but when I do, I prefer the Rich Eisen Podcast. Here's your host, Rich Eisen. Welcome to the Rich Eisen Podcast. I am your humble host now here in June, the last month on the calendar that does not feature a single major NFL event. July will come with training camps, August with preseason, and then the playing season kicks in. So June is sort of uh, the OTA month, and there's lots of news, actually, that's coming out on this very day that we're we're broadcasting to you. Um, Jason Pierre-Paul of the New York Giants having back surgery, needing about three months of uh, recovery time, which should take him right up to the regular season start. That's big news that dropped in early June. Also, uh, news out of Dallas confirming, Jerry Jones confirming that the play calling will not be in Jason Garrett's hands in the 2013 season. It will be Bill Callahan, the uh, former Nebraska head coach, the former head coach of of Oakland, of the Raiders. Uh, recently, the offensive line coach of the New York Jets. He was with the Cowboys last year. He's going to be calling the plays, not Jason Garrett. That is of interest as well, and we'll talk about that and all the other news that's going on in the NFL later on in the week. But right now we're going to talk about the news that broke late Monday night, the passing of the great Deacon Jones, David Deacon Jones. Um, they truly broke the mold with this man, and uh, in the 10 years that I've been able to do this job, uh, he's one of the guys that stands out to say that I, to, for me to say that I was fortunate to have met him, interviewed him, been around him, uh, what he did on the field, called one of the greatest defensive players ever, um, and for rightfully so, Pro Football Hall of Famer, class of 1980, uh, part of the fearsome foursome defensive line with the with the Los Angeles Rams, and we will talk about this on this podcast with a man uh, to whom he passed the torch in Los Angeles, Jack Youngblood, fellow Pro Football Hall of Famer, guy who appeared in Los Angeles fresh out of the University of Florida, coming to uh, the Rams, drafted by the Rams, and who's there? Deacon Jones, Merlin Olson. Deacon yeah. in his final year of the Los Angeles Rams. And we'll also reminisce about the life and times of uh, Deacon with the daughter of George Allen, the coach of those great Los Angeles Rams years. Jennifer Allen, who we've uh, we've had on NFL Network many times, reminiscing about um, somebody so close to her and her family, she named one of her sons Deacon. Yeah, her second son. Her middle child is named Deacon. And um, uh, Chris Law, good to see you here on this uh, sad day. It's a sad yeah. day. It just I can't believe it. When I saw it last night, you know, I, I'm like, oh, no. And the news broke. The Redskins sent out a press release. The Redskins, you know, for whom um, uh, 
It's the team that Deacon last played for in 1974. But Bruce Allen is the general manager there, brother of Jennifer, son of George. And, I mean, again, the the Deacon Jones-Allen family connection cannot be described by somebody like me. So we'll, we'll have Jennifer do it. Yeah. And the, the the few minutes that we're going to get with her, she'll be so kind of her to agree to do this show. I mean, she's in, she's she's grieving. That family is grieving. Some of the older Hall of Famers like a Deacon Jones or, a, or Merlin Olson, Brockman and I, you know, didn't, and, and even yourself, maybe yes. you didn't get to watch it all in real time, but you hear about their mystique. And I was at the Hall two years ago, and, you know, we're in the lobby at the hotel where all the players are checking in, and you see, see Deacon there checking in, and he he just commands the room. Well, know? I mean, he, he has been Mr. Hall of Fame, yeah. essentially, for um, ever since, obviously, he got in, Chris Brockman, but... Uh, part of the events that are take place in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, um, one of the neat events is one that us mere mortals are not allowed into. It's called the Ray Nitschke Luncheon, named after uh, the great uh, linebacker of the Green Bay Packers, former Hall of Famer. And essentially it's like a roast where all of the current Hall of Famers welcome in the new class and roast them, haze them, give them grief, and we're not allowed in. Only... Pro Football Hall of Famers. That's your Hall Pass. The Yellow to get Jacket in. invite only. That's it. Well, they haven't gotten the Yellow Jackets yet. To be literal, true. They happen on Saturday. The jacket ceremonies the night before oh, okay. the uh, the the induction, where you get your bust. The night before you get your jacket, which is truly the moment that these guys know that they're a Pro Football Hall of Famer yeah. because it's in the Canton Civic Auditorium in front of thousands of people, and the their presenter is the one who slips the jacket on their back. I'm getting goosebumps to tell this story. Uh, if you remember, you know, most recently it's when uh, Sterling Sharp put the jacket on Shannon and they had a great cry. And that led to a moment in that lobby that uh, that you're, I'm about to get to with Deacon Jones. But that Friday that Friday event leads up to that Saturday event and then Sunday or if induction is, is Saturday, the jackets are Friday night and then the luncheon is always Friday afternoon. It's the Ray Nitschke luncheon where all the Hall of Famers gather and Ray was the one who created this luncheon. Well, when he passed, it was still called the Ray Nitschke Luncheon. But the guy who ruled the room was Deacon Jones. The Jeffrey Ross of the Ray Nitschke Luncheon. In a way, I guess so, <laughs> for the lack of a better phrase. But, yeah, he was the one who ruled that room. And he would, like people like Rod Woodson, yeah. one of the greats of all time, he'd get the business. I mean, he De- Deacon would bust the stones of everybody, which brings me to... That moment, we were sitting in the in the lobby of the hotel where all the Hall of Famers stay. Yeah. Okay. A few years ago, when we did when we, we did Jack our podcast, and, when we had Jack Youngblood yeah. and see with with um with uh, John Madden, on John Madden well. and Jim Kelly, who and we Jack. send out our best to as well. You know, that was part of the news this week that he said that he's got cancer of the jaw and he's going to have surgery on Friday and he's expected to fully recover. We all send our best to Jim Kelly, of course. But we sat down, Jackie uh, Slater, Jackie with Slater. Jack. Yeah. Young blood. It was a fantastic show. But we're waiting for these guys to show up in our room, and we get out of the room, and we're rolling around the lobby. Well, Shannon Sharp is sitting in the lobby, and the front page of the Canton Repository, the, the newspaper, the front page is a huge picture of Shannon hugging Sterling from the jacket ceremony the night before, and they're having a great cry. I mean, they just stood there and cried. And Deacon grabs the newspaper, holds it up to Shannon, and goes... Are you f-ing kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Drop the f bomb, pointing to the picture, going. Are you still crying? 
Are you guys still crying over this? Like, absolutely busting the stones of Shannon Sharp wide open. Wow. Just laying into him for crying, taking up all our time. We're sitting there all night. We want to get out of there. And you're standing up there crying like you're a two-year-old. It was, it was surreal. Oh, it was man. Awesome. I mean, that's what Deacon is for that weekend. And there's no way that Shannon would have ever expected him to just No, I, maybe. Him I, like I imagine that. everybody knows when Deacon walks in the room, everybody Everyone is else vulnerable. might have known what was happening. But. Well, it was just, it, it, I mean, that's what Deacon Jones has meant to the Hall of Fame since 1980 when he got in. And I can't believe, you know, that. Uh, we're not, you know, Warren is going to be on total access later and we'll chat with him down the road. I, I know this has got to hit him hard than when he's going in. Yeah, he actually Deacon, Deacon won't be there. Warren had some good some good statements on it. I got the sound here. For OK, here. please kinda, kinda roll, brief, it. But roll it. Here's what Warren had to say. OK. Deacon Jones for me is an absolute institution. Growing up in Orlando, you heard about the stories of Deacon Jones from Eatonville, Florida running down running backs, running down wide receivers as a defensive lineman. And then you hear the stories of the head slap. <laughs> Helmets ringing inside stadiums all the way to the top of them. Deacon Jones signified what it was to be a great warrior on the defensive line, up front, all day long, pack a lunch if Deacon was coming because it was going to be an all-day affair, and he was going to tell you about it too. Kind of patting my game after him because – if you can talk that talk and walk that walk, then you can stand beside Deacon. He was the best. Yeah, and it's going to kill Warren that Deacon's not going to be there at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And when we see that in-memoriam moment that we see every year and there's going to be Deacon's face up there, uh, there's not going to be a dry eye in the house. I mean, he, he such a presence, such a presence. And then we'll talk about this a, a little bit with, uh, with Jen Allen. I mean, he... He grew up where, where where Deacon Jones grew up and when he grew up, for instance, at South Carolina State University, they revoked his scholarship after they learned that he was part of uh, the civil rights movement. And then um, he played a final season at Mississippi Vocational College. And he and his fellow African-American teammates had to sleep on cots in the opposing team's gym because some motels wouldn't take them on occasions. Unbelievable! It's crazy. This yeah. is what what he you know he grew up and then traveling in the prof- professional football ranks. He dealt with that a lot. Because that was what early sixties. Early six. I mean, this is this is the time that he was playing and growing up in. And this is also the time he came on Total Access one year. One of the first conversations we did in advance of of the Pro Football Hall of Fame ceremony. This is back in the day when. I was essentially the only host we had here. And when we had to travel to go to do the Pro Football Hall of Fame uh, on those days, we couldn't be dark, so we pre-taped a lot of stuff. So one year we had a roundtable chat. Dan Fouts was there. Deacon was one of the guys. I forget who the other Pro Football Hall of Famers that we had sitting there. I wrote about this in my book. And Deacon would tell stories about how he would have to take second jobs in the offseason to make ends meet. Can you imagine now? Wow. Right? Yeah. We just mentioned Jason Pierre-Paul, right, who's one of the top premier sack- sackers in the league. And we call him Sacker because that was – Deacon came up with the name. Coined he called it Sack because he was putting the quarterback in a bag. Isn't that cr- it's crazy how that – like we okay. just think of it as that word exists. Yeah, sacks. And, right? he, he coined it. He started it. Right. He's bagging up quarterbacks, sacking them. 
okay? And um, you imagine Jason Pierre-Paul, he's going to spend the next three months in the, you know, all this, the, the best health care possible. <laughs> and, you know, we live in what we hope, a post-racial world. And he he doesn't have to make ends meet by having to get a job in the off season. It just is, you know, you have to think about what, what we, what, what fabric uh, is woven into a, a tapestry that is Deacon Jones. And again, what he's meant to the sport, what he has meant to players who have followed in his footsteps. You heard it in Warren's voice. He's broken up. Deacon, everybody, Marshall Falk, you'll hear him later on 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 the network. His his number's up in the rafters next to Deacon Jones. If you go to St. Louis, there's one banner up there from Los Angeles. It's Deacon's. You see you see an L.A. Rams jersey hanging in St. Louis. You know, you think about all this stuff and what he's meant to all the players that have followed him. Dion, we could call up anybody from the last 15, 20 years, and they will have story after story after story of the times a deacon sat them down or they sat him down to pick his brain. He passes it on. He's not one of these aloof guys that didn't do anything ever since he was finished. The Deacon Jones Foundation, helping inner city children. Yep. Quite a man and a legend, but of the all the people that we figured we'd call up, we'd call up a teammate. And a fellow Los Angeles Ram. Let's get to him because he's on a golf course, correct? Yes, he's. Uh, I think he's up in Chicago at a okay. Hall of Fame event. All right. Well, let's hope uh, we let's hope he he didn't slice before reaching for his phone. But before we get to the Jack Youngblood conversation, um, Total Access went down after the taping of the podcast that you're listening to, and uh, I had a chance to chat with Rosie Greer. Rosie Greer coming into the NFL Network studios. Again, this is after when you're done listening to this as podcast. Uh, in chronologically, we learned Rosie Greer is coming in, yeah. and uh, I was asked to interview him. Rosie Greer, the lo- last living member of the Fearsome Foursome, and uh, talk about a guy's life. I mean, he, he, I guess Sports Illustrated called him Forrest Greer, yeah, because of where he's been, what he's done from being uh, in the 1958 championship game on the Giants defensive line that Alan Amici burst through the greatest game ever played. Greatest game ever played, yeah. Then he was traded to Los Angeles in the mid-60s, part of the fearsome foursome. In the late 60s, he's in Los Angeles um, next to RFK. That's right. When RFK was assassinated, he tackled Sirhan Sirhan. He tackled the assassin of Robert F. Kennedy Jr., then he uh, goes into a career of television and uh, is part of the pop culture lore. As a matter of fact, during, during the um, commercial break, in between the two segments you're about to hear, I interview Rosie Greer one-on-one, and then later in the show with Rosie Greer and Michael Irvin and Warren Sapp join us, and Warren gets very emotional. Yeah, you can't see it necessarily in the, right. or hear it in the interview, but if you want to see it, you can also look online. We'll have it, the video up on NFL.com. He gets very emotional because he's tight with 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 um, with Deacon, and Deacon's always at the Hall of Fame, and this year that Warren finally gets in, he won't be there. He gets emotional about it. But in the commercial break, I did ask Deacon Jones what his favorite television show was that he was on. 
Rosie Greer. Rosie Greer. What did I say? Ask Deacon Jones. Yeah, I did during commercial break. I did ask Rosie Greer, and he mentioned um, Kojak. Come on, <laughs> right? Then he kept going on. He was in a TV show, Daniel Boone, and he mentions uh, uh, the White Shadow. Wow. And I asked him, "Did you ever do a Rockford Files?" Yes, he did a Rockford Files. This is all over my head, <laughs> way, dude. You're way an before. old. I'm just. You're just. <laughs> come on. <laughs> At any rate, um, so Rosie Greer comes in, and we figured we'll just uh, add it into the, this uh, podcast. Yeah, got to have Rosie in this. So okay, so we're here. about to hear my conversation with Rosie Greer, and then add it on with with Irv and Sap. Yep, it's gonna be about twelve minutes, and then we'll the podcast will resume uh, like like it never like uh, like it normally was. If well, you we'll, downloaded it first. Okay, here we go, Rosie Greer. Good to see you, Rosie. Yeah, I'm glad to be here, and I'm sorry to lose my teammates. Because we had a lot going for us together. We all believe that we can make a difference in our society by working and being worked together. We didn't worry about the color of a man. We just worried about how he worked. What about your thoughts, just starting off, on uh, the passing of Deacon Jones, Rosie? I was shocked. I was shocked. Not that I thought that a man couldn't die. It's just that the thought that Deacon Jones was not gone, as well as Marilyn Olsen, and Lamar Lundy, and these guys were very close friends of mine, and I love those guys very much. We were like a family. Uh, we believed that if Merlin said, let's do it, we would do it. If Deacon said, let's do it, we would do it. We would all do it together because we believed in one another. What was it like being right next to Deacon on that defensive line? You came in in 1963. You'd already been there for two years. What was it like when you first got to the Los Angeles Rams from the Giants? Well, when I first got to the Los Angeles Rams, the Rams were totally disorganized. Uh, black ball players didn't like black ball players. White ball players didn't like white ball players. And then the four of us got together, and they began to rally around us because we didn't go for that stuff. We wanted to come and play to win. And the only way you can win is as a team. And the only way you can be a team is if you care and love for one another, and that's what we did. And the team began to work together. We began to be the leadership and we had great talent. Those guys were incredible. Uh, we were intimidated. We would stand on the line. We wouldn't go in the huddle. We'd stand on the line and watch the deep offense to get ready to come out. And we would look at the quarterback and say, don't come this way. <laughs> With Deacon, um, his, his dislike for quarterbacks was well known. But when you actually saw him off the field, that was not really a joke. That wasn't an act. That wasn't... A persona. He genuinely had a dislike for that type of person, the quarterback, right? Deacon, Deacon was a funny dude. Uh, I really loved Deacon because Deacon was very honest, and I think a lot of it, Deacon's feelings had to go back to the place where he came from, and I think he, he believed that people genuinely didn't like him because of his race and uh, what he wanted to prove, how good he was on the football field, in any place. You see, it doesn't matter what color you are, where you are. It's your skills and your talent should always be the thing that make you. Let's touch upon that a little bit now. When you talk, you mentioned race a couple of times already. Uh, Deacon growing up in Florida and then uh, in the segregated South with South Carolina State University and his scholarship being revoked, having to finish out his collegiate career in Mississippi, before going on into the National Football League at a small school in Mississippi. How much did 
uh, race relations and Deacon's experiences with it uh, motivate him or make him up as a person? How, how much did that play into it, Rosie? Life uh, has a way of working certain way with certain people. I was born in Georgia, and I went through the whole period of time. It didn't bother me at all because my dad always taught me that we're no one better than I am. And a lot of times people grow up, they have different feelings, and people tell them different things. And I never worried about that. And hopefully I would tell Deacon when sometimes he'd say things. I said, you don't mean that. He said, yes, I do. I said, you don't mean that, Deacon. And I kept saying, yes, I do. No, you don't. And I, I love Deacon because Deacon was very outspoken about a lot of things that he thought. And he would say it out loud. And, and sometimes we said, Deacon, keep quiet, man. <laughs> right. and, uh, but Deacon was a great ball player. Great, great ball player. For uh, young folks who are tuning in right now who may not know about Deacon, we're trying to give a little bit of an idea throughout this entire show and obviously in this conversation. What would you say to young folks who may not know who Deacon was? If you can possibly sum up the type of man and football player he was in one, what would you say, Rosie Greer? Deacon Jones was a young man who grew up and he had natural ability and he took his skills and his talent that God had given him and he developed them to the best he could, listening to the coaches, playing as hard as he could, getting in great shape, eating right, living right, and thereby when the game started, he played his hardest, and thereby you got one of the greatest all-time defensive players to ever play the game. And for you personally, um, last question for you right now, when you hear that you're the last living member of the fearsome foursome, how does that hit you, Rosie? Well, it's, there's always going to be the last. Uh, I know that one day God's going to call my name. And all I would hope that I would live the life that him, he would say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Uh, I believe that everyone should know who they are spiritually and I'll make a commitment with their life to live the life that would be meaningful for other people as well. I've got a couple other amazing guys to join us in this chat right now. One a Hall of Famer, one who's going to be a Hall of Famer uh, this fall. Uh, we got Michael Irvin uh, joining us now on this conversation and Warren Sapp. Good to see both of you. Warren Sapp, who's going into the Pro Football Hall of Fame this summer, and Irv, who went in uh, several years ago. Uh, I want to start with you, though, first, Rosie, and, and you guys listen to Rosie's answer and piggyback on top of it. What does Deacon Jones mean to you? I hear the word we have word associate. What does he mean to you, Rosie? Deacon Jones, to me, was a great ball player. I loved him as a, as a man, but more importantly, his commitment to playing football. He was very, very committed to winning. And he practiced hard, he worked hard, and he played hard, always. He, Maryland Olsen, always had some kind of games going on out there so they can get to the quarterback, uh, get in the backfield fast. Warren? For me, it's the world, Rich, because he taught me that a little small-town boy from just outside Orlando, just like him in Edenville, Florida, could make it to the NFL and, you know, take the world by storm with not only your play, but your mouth and your rhymes. And, you know, for me, Deacon was everything that embodied what it was to be a defensive lineman, to go out every Sunday and hunt the quarterback and know he is the prize and to know I must be on my game, take him off the map in order for my football team to win this game. He coined the term that, that I live by, sack. I mean, 
This morning when I woke up, Rich, it shook my bones that he was no longer with us. It, yes. I, that, that, it was a tough day for me. The first tough day I've had since February the 2nd. And it, it's, oh, my goodness. I mean, the man, the myth, everything that he is. Like he said, I didn't invent the head slap, but Rembrandt didn't invent painting. He just, <laughs> made, he just perfected it. And that's what Deacon was to all of us, you know? I mean, oh, my goodness. Just to be in his presence, you felt like, you were a better person for being there in that moment. February 2nd, the, the day you learned you were going to the Pro Football Hall of Fame and you're going to wind up in the same gallery as Deacon Jones. Irv, what are your thoughts? Because I know you've spent many, uh, many a day uh, chatting with Deacon and uh, sitting in corners and listening to him and, uh, and going back and forth. Well, Rich, you talked about what word, and I, I would call him a galvanizer, the guy that brought everybody together. Warren is exactly correct in talking about how big he was he was big on the football field, but he was big off the football field. But he never allowed his bigness to make you stray away from his person. He brought everybody together, and especially as my contemporaries come into the Hall of Fame now. The one thing Deke did was he was the one that conveyed the spirit of the Hall of Fame. You have guys that are so incredible at what they've done. And a lot of guys that have accomplished such incredible things and able to be voted into the Hall of Fame, that means those guys spent a lot of time by themselves perfecting their craft. Deke made sure you spent that time by yourself. You will not spend this hall by yourself. We are a family and we are a team. And we lost one of the greatest teammates, you know, that, that, that we know. Now, I didn't get a chance to be in that room with Ray Niski. I miss those opportunities, and I hear the stories about how great Ray Niski was and his great stories about him. I was saddened today when we lost Deacon, and I was saddened, I just, certainly for Deacon's family and Deacon and everybody, but I was also saddened for my big fellow Warren and the guys that are coming in this year on the 50th anniversary because you will miss, you won't have that opportunity allow to see Deke when he grabs that microphone and that Niski luncheon and take over, and we become <laughs> one team in that one room on that one moment. I, you know, and, and Warren, Warren and I have talked about it many a times. I, I, I'm really sad that that won't commingle. Th those two won't commingle. Right, and you, you mentioned, that, again, the Ray Nitschke luncheon that uh, only uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame members are allowed into, uh, and you mentioned to Irv how um, he lets you know what you have accomplished and how there's a responsibility that comes from that. But right now, as you know, right also, as you know, also, nobody busted the stones of pro football Hall of Famers quite like him as well. I mean, he did well, it. Let me he, tell you, Rich. He, he did it. He did it. In, he did it in quite a way. In, in quite a way, Richard. In my first year in 2007, when I got voted into the Hall of Fame and I went in, of course, you know, we have the lunch, we had the room, but then we had an appearance in Vegas that evening, that night. Maybe me, Deke, uh, uh, a couple more guys, Fred Beliknikoff, a, a, a couple more of the older guys. And I was the young guy on that private charter over to Vegas. We got on that charter and we all sat down. The, the pilot started taking off. Deke looks right at me and says, hey, young fella, I don't know how many rings you got out there, but in here, the only ring you will have is that trait. Get to serve it, everybody. <laughs> so I was, 
I was, you know, I, I, I was like, are you going to give me a drink? I'm the, I, I'm the flight attendant. You know, I was serving drinks the whole flight to Vegas and the whole flight back from Vegas. I'm thinking, wait a minute. I got five rings in my possession. Why am I serving drinks? That's what DK is, man. He's the yeah. spirit of the Hall of Fame. And I promise you, I dreamed of this 50th anniversary with my big fellow Warren Sapp going in and, 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 and my big fella Deacon Jones sitting in that room. So, you know, hey, I, 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 I just would pray for their Don't families. do that, Mike. Don't do that with my I, I know, you're, big you're fella. Because you and me both are getting emotional. Me. We'll get man, emotional man, on, on that. Man. We'll stay away from it, big Listen, fella. That was, that was my only thing I wanted, Mike, was to put my jacket on beside him in yeah. the... You know, two Orange County finest right there, baby. And that's, that's all I wanted. And I felt like I was cheated this morning. So I'm hurting. I'm hurting. Yeah, I hear you. We love them. I hear you. And it's, it, Rosie, there's been a lot of head nodding out of you as you heard these two guys talk about it. And Warren, I guess his reaction sort of sums it up, the tears and, and also the laughter. The, yeah, the, the, I, I, you know, I reach out to his family and all of his friends. And all the people that love Deacon Jones and what he stood for, you know, I look at sports as an opportunity for each man to display uh, an act that will, a lot of people will emulate in times to come. Hopefully they will act in a way that young people can, can emulate them. And I always uh, have to bust the Deacon quite a bit. I said, Deacon, you can't say that, man. <laughs> and yet he would go on and put me down. I said, Deacon, uh, you can't say it. But... <laughs> Deacon was a quite a guy, man. <laughs> quite a guy. Yeah, there's a lot. It's funny how you, you and those two guys on the screen right there, there's been a lot of head nodding and a lot of uh, agreements and all that. Warren and, and Michael, thank you for your time and your sharing, uh, obviously, on this, uh, this day. And Warren, um, we look forward to seeing you go into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And obviously, Deke will be with you that day, no, no question about it. So that was my conversation with those guys. Again, Sap got really emotional when because the split screen you you can again download it on the on the blog page, richeisen.nfl.com. But in the split screen, after uh, Irvin told uh, said he felt bad for Warren that Deacon is not going to be there at his ceremony at his induction, uh, Warren began to tear up. Yeah, you and you saw tears white, roll white down. Eye. Right, yeah, the waterworks hit. The waterworks hit. And what a great story about being in the uh, the plane. I'm telling you, Deacon Jones was a first-rate stone buster <laughs> like no one else could. And if you think, again, you see his, his style of talking and what he did on television after his career, the DNA of Deacon Jones is in Charles Barkley. You yeah. see Charles on the air walking. To, he can walk the walk. Uh, he can talk the talk because he walked the walk, and he doesn't care what people say. That's Deacon Jones. It's a good comparison. You look at Chaz Barkley. I'm telling you, it's the same thing. Well, I mean, we obviously know what's coming up the rest of the way since we've already taped it. You yes. Three great interviews still. I mean, the, the Jennifer Allen one that's coming up after Jack Youngblood's yep. amazing. So Jennifer Allen, the uh, the daughter of uh, of George Allen, the coach of um, of the Fearsome Foursome, and then Willie McGinnis in studio. But right now, let's get to Jack Youngblood. Let's talk now, uh, as we mentioned, with uh, one of the best of all time from the defensive line of the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, he came in uh, as Deacon was going out the door in Los Angeles. He is also a fellow, like Deacon Jones, Hall of Famer. He's none other than Jack Youngblood. How are you, Jack? I'm good, Rich. I'm good. On a, on a sad day, sad day when, we, when you lose a, a man like Deacon Jones, um, it's 
you wake up to that news that just that doesn't start your day off right. Man, so he's like larger than life. The fact that he's no longer with us, Jack, it just doesn't compute. I'd love to know how you think about that. Absolutely, that's uh, it's hard to believe that we that we don't have Deacon with us. In fact, Deacon would be right here, right where I am today, if he if he was here, if he could be, when in a golf tournament for the Hall of Fame. He loved the Hall of, like like no other, um, and he would <laughs> he would certainly want to be right here with us today. Yeah, I know. I mentioned that at the top of of my podcast here that that he is essentially the the he was the greatest living gatekeeper of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. That 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 for years there was a um, uh, a luncheon that's still named after the originator and the Ray Nitschke luncheon just for all of you guys who are in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. That's it. Those are the only people allowed in the room. And once Ray passed away, it was sort of like Deacon's event. It was De- Deacon was the one who spoke. Deacon was the one who, if he was there, which he was more often than not, he'd be the one that would be hazing the incoming inductees. And I'd love to know what... I mean that 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 is that's just who he was for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. The mantle was passed from Ray to 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 Deacon and uh, and Deacon Deacon he uh, he loved it uh, because he he had that passion for the Hall of Fame and he wanted to tell these the, the new kids coming in. I mean nobody's a kid anymore. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but we consider them kids. <laughs> He wanted them to know what this was all, what this was about, how special this was, and that you, you know you, it's it's a different team, um, but but you you got to have you got to have respect for for all of these Hall of Famers, all these guys who are your your new teammates now. What was Deacon like when you first got to the team? I mean, here he was, Mister Fearsome Foursome. You come in, and what was his last year? What was that like for you? Well. First of all, first of all, when I when I realized who I was going, you know, what football team I was going to, uh, I I got I got to do my little homework, and I realized, you know, this may be a short trip. I'm <laughs> I've got to go and, and and I'm on the same football team with Deacon Jones, and I'm supposed to play defensive line. Uh, <laughs> they may give me a you know they may give me a two way ticket here. <laughs> so <laughs> so good. Right off the bat, I was I was totally uh, enamored with with Beacon. And of course, he's big, he was bigger than life anywhere he went. There was not there's not a room that Beacon ever walked into that he didn't take control of. And it, I mean, it was always and always a great thing too because yeah, he would he 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 had such a uh, sense of humor, and he loved he loved to uh, to hold court and to tell stories. That was that was one of but did he did he throw his arm around you? Did he give you any any? Uh, I mean, no, what, what was it a protege mentor moment? Pretty much right from the get go. Absolutely, I I've told this story many a time that um, if it wasn't for Deacon and Merlin putting their arm around this you know twenty one year old kid coming out of the University of Florida, they had to put their arms around me and said, "Kid, you can play, but we got to teach you how to play." And from that moment on, we we started we we developed a relationship that um, was you know lasting until you know still still lasts. For kids out there who will hear the name, it's just a name that's just a part of the football and sports lexicon in the United States, Jack. 
how would you sum up who he, he, he was? Can you do that? I know I only have a few minutes of you. You're standing there on a golf course. Uh, what, what, what can you tell somebody who may not know about Deacon Jones that you, you, you'd like to impart to, to somebody without that knowledge? Deacon Jones is, is one of the absolute icons of the National Football League. He changed the way the game was played from a defensive line, lineman standpoint. Um, he had a, he had a passion for the game. He had a he had a passion for his for his teammates. That was that that all of us football players wanted want to have that type of a of a character. Um, and if you didn't, if you, if you've never seen Deacon play, you need to go Google it. <laughs> 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 go go. go. Go go look on Google someplace or, or Facebook or whatever, and 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 just watch watch it. The, 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 you see the passion on every snap that he that he took. What did he have that others didn't? I mean, for for him to be able to to do what he did, what do you think it was? Intensity, absolute intensity, every heartbeat. There was there there was there was no letting up. There was there was no. Uh, downtime on the football field with, with Deacon, and he he chased every quarterback in the National Football League, and they still, you know, they still were looking over their shoulders years later, <laughs> wanting to know is is Deacon on the way because he they knew that he was coming. Do you think he could have had a professional career as a stand-up comic? Being as fun, I mean, he was he's one of the funniest people you'd ever met, too. Oh, he was, he was, and you. you you realize that he and, and, and Merlin had a little um, um, a little song and dance gig back in the day. Is that right? Uh, oh yeah, it was it, it was it was it was hilarious. I mean, they they actually got up and, and, and had a uh, like, like a like a uh, a Vegas show. Really? And, yeah, yeah. And they they you know they tried to sing. <laughs> <laughs> they, were, they they were okay. Okay. So they would they would not have advanced in American Idol. Is that what you're saying? They would have not. Uh, they, they, they had had. They would have had to have a lot of a lot of calls. <laughs> <laughs> they would have had a lot of help. Yeah, because I mean, just uh, I, just in terms of of his presence in the locker room. Again, you were there at the end of his stay in Los Angeles, and what right. he meant there. Can you just put into words in that respect? Do you have a good story about what he did in the locker room at some point? That just stands out to you when you were there as a rookie. Um, I was, you know, I was, I was still in in in, in awe, Rich. When you know, when I was there, at, you know, twenty one. I'm still, I'm still trying to figure out what, what this is all about. Um, so half the time I was, I was, you know, in fear, <laughs> wondering. Wondering when is he going to point, you know, point to me and say, "Kid, you've got to do this and that and the other." You know, I never wanted him to uh, to, to get irritated with me. That's for sure. Uh, and it, you know, you look you look back at it, and and I, I really have to say, if it hadn't have been for Deacon and Merwin, I would not have had the career that I had in the National Football League. And then when you finally got into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in two thousand one. Um, at the Gold Jacket dinner, right? That night. And then you're finally in there, right? At the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And, um, well, it was before then. But at any rate, 
Deacon was already in there. You 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 left in 1984. It, it, your career was done in '84. Deacon got in the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1980. How did he welcome you when you finally got there? It was in 2001 when you're giving your speech. With with open arms, with absolute open arms, and he you know he he was like a like an older brother to me. He and Merlin both, and uh, but but Deke was like an older brother, and I I tried to emulate everything he did on the football field. I I had the I I had the tools. But I had to I had to learn how to think about the game. That's what that's what the difference was. And before I let you go, what what's been the sense there at that event? You're there at a, a Pro Football Hall of Fame event in Chicago. Yep. You're standing there on a golf course, just the news being passed around amongst your colleagues, your fellow immortals. It's a it's a bad day. It's a bad day to to, to, to think about. It's a great great little event we have here, and uh, we've we've been doing this you know, up here in Chicago for a, for a couple of years now, and. Uh, just supporting the, the Hall of Fame, and uh, but it's you know when we when we heard about it this morning, it's everybody you know we took a moment and and um, and, and thought about Deke and and uh, of course Elizabeth losing her her husband. So um, when we lose one of our comrades, it's uh, it's it's a sad day. Well, Jack, I appreciate you stepping uh, out of the golf cart for a few minutes and uh, sharing some thoughts with us. We really appreciate it. You're the best. Thank you. Thank you, Rich. You bet. You You bet. Thank you. That's Jack Youngblood, Pro Football Hall of Famer, longtime friend, colleague of Deacon Jones on the podcast. The Marlboro Man from the golf course. Everybody. And uh, the one thing that leapt out at me is when I asked him for a memory, and he basically said I was scared. I I was scared of him. You know? And this is a man who is known as the toughest player in the history of the NFL. Can you imagine, imagine being like 22 years old, you've, you've heard about this guy, Deacon Jones, and now he's going to be your teammate. Well, he said, right, that he thought he'd get a two-way ticket. There's no way he's, he's like, there's no way I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and, you know, even though he's a, he's a first-round draft choice, yeah. right? First-round pick, unlike Deacon, right? And, and um, he was nervous. Why not, right? Yeah. What, what, what are the odds, too, that we catch him on a day that he's with other Hall of Famers right. on a golf course? That's one of the things that struck me about Deacon, 14th-round draft pick. Yeah. Mm, you know, and and just it, it it just is, I don't know. I mean, it just, that's why I tweeted out last night, like, words uh, words fail. Words fail. What a bummer. <laughs> um, you know what, I, it sort of struck me that, or it struck you, and I'm acting like it struck me. <laughs> That uh, there might be some young listeners of this podcast or potentially some folks uh, internationally who may not fully know Deacon Jones's career. Yeah. Right? No, I mean, if you're if you're of a certain age or obviously an internationalist, you might not know some Well, if you're our that... age, too, you also remember Deacon from the Best Damn Sports Show, period, right? <laughs> Seriously. He did do. Deacon did, did Best Damn Sports Show. Yeah, Tom Arnold and and all those guys. Chris Rose, our colleague, for a few years, Deacon. And when we first started on NFL Network, we had Deacon do stuff with us. You remember the the pieces Deacon's pulpit, or does that predate you guys? I was not a NFL Network subscriber. We would right. <laughs> we would have we would basically just have him go in front of a camera and have him riff on the topics of the day. 
It sounds like a fantastic uh, fr- idea. From from like you know a penalty or a, a change in emphasis on the on the defensive side of the football. Wow. Quarterbacks, haircuts, what guys were wearing in press conferences after the game. Just letting him, just letting him go. And he would just look right in the camera and goes, "This is Deacon's. My name is Deacon Jones, and this is Deacon's pulpit." And right. we just let him go, because you know Eric Weinberger, our executive producer, he's he comes from the best damn sports show uh, days. Right, right. He was part of that, so he's known Deacon forever. So we had him part of our mix at the st- at the at the at the start too. And you know we're turning ten this year. He was that means here's a guy in his mid sixties talking to young kids. Uh, on television, you don't see. You just don't see that much. I know we're just trying to give the full picture yeah. of this guy here, I mean, right? The, what, the Secretary of Defense. I mean, the minister. That's how well, I know. That's how Reggie gets his name, the Minister. Of exactly. Defense, right? There yeah. was a Secretary of Defense before the Minister of Defense. Yeah. It's crazy. And also, let's think about this again. When you're talking about a, a, a guy full of personality in the '60s, this is when. Think about it, this is when the Muhammad Ali was going down this is when uh war was breaking out the country was being fractured we saw on mad men just this past week right civil unrest a civil unrest all over the place this is the this is the world in which deacon jones was operating and also growing up and sacking nfl quarterbacks taking them down and before we get to jennifer allen I, I let's play this obituary from NFL Films, correct? Yeah, this is the, the folks NFL Films. Do you have an I, who, who, some of the voices we'll yeah, be hearing you're, in you're this? You hear from Merlin Olson. You actually hear from Jack Youngblood at certain okay. points. Okay, uh, a couple of his old former teammates, the guys from the Hall. Deacon so himself is prominently Deacon himself featured. is prominently featured as well. And if you want to actually see the video, you can go to NFL.com. But here's the audio. It kind of tells you through his life his life story. Um, it's about six minutes long, so we'll join back on the uh, end of this. David Jones dubbed himself Deacon after deciding that his given name sounded too common. But there was nothing common about the way Deacon Jones played the defensive end position. I could do things on the football field that you probably haven't seen done since I've been. Because I, it just flowed for me. Deacon came uh, out of nowhere to be one of the greatest football players ever at that time. And still today, he's, he's the best defensive end ever. The Los Angeles Rams discovered Jones by chance while watching film of one of his college opponents. They made the little-known product of Mississippi Vocational a 14th round selection in 1961. He soon established himself as a destructive combination of speed, quickness, and explosiveness never before seen in a 270-pound defensive lineman. I would safely say at this point in time, I was the fastest in the history of the game. from a, from a dead standstill. My lateral movements along with my initial speed was just fantastic. I could outrun daylight. He changed running away from a defensive end. We never blocked the, the off end, never had to. But him, once you left him alone, he'd catch anybody running a sweep away from him. In Los Angeles, Jones teamed with Merlin Olson, Rosie Greer, and Lamar Lundy to form the Fearsome Foursome one of the most dominant defensive lines in NFL history. I think I would match our group against any that have ever played the game. Deacon was uh, our quick knife to the heart of the offense. And we really turned him loose and said, Deacon, come off the ball, go as aggressively and as quickly as you can, uh, and raise as much havoc as you can. 
Jones was a unanimous all-league selection six straight years, from 1965 to 1970, and won Defensive Player of the Year honors in 1967 and 68. In 14 seasons, the man known as the Secretary of Defense made eight Pro Bowls and specialized in the quarterback sack, a term he invented. Sacking the cornerback is just like um, like you like you devastate a city or you cream or you cream a multitude of people. I mean, it's just like like you put all the off- offensive players in one bag and I just take a baseball bat and beat on the bag. Okay, we just found a term. The NFL only began keeping official sack statistics in 1982. So Jones's name appears nowhere on the list of all-time sack leaders. However, no football historian would question his inclusion on such a list. By his own count, Jones registered 173 and a half sacks, one of the highest totals in league history. Deacon Jones has more sacks than anybody in the history of this game, but they won't go back and count them past 1981 or 1982. Why not give credit where credit is due? I'd like to have known how many sacks David Jones had. I know that he was as dominant a defensive end that I'd ever seen rushing the passer. Many of Jones's fierce rushes to the quarterback were aided by his use of the head slap, a technique the league ultimately outlawed. The head slap was to do two purposes. One was to give myself an initial head start on the pass rush. In other words, an extra step. Because anytime you go upside a man's head, then they have a tendency to blink their eyes or close their eyes, and that was all I needed. Uh, Gail Sears had a statement out that all he needed was 16 inches. Well, all I needed was a blink of the old eyes, and I was by you. Come on, Big D! Come on, make him bleed through the ears! He developed an equally well-earned reputation for his gift of gab. Deacon Jones is the kind of guy, he wants to brag. He wants to challenge people. He wants to say, we're the best. You guys got to come stop us. Well, I took a beautiful lick down here. The Los Angeles Times named Jones the most valuable Ram of all time. And his beloved coach, George Allen, called him the greatest defensive end of modern football. When I hit and, and put my back into it, you know, boom. I mean, that's going to provide that shot that's going to put the intimidating fear of God into that running back. Let him know and make him go back to that huddle and tell his quarterback, damn it, I'm not running in Deacon Jones' area anymore. So each time he came over there, I tried to tear his damn head off. Let's play some football! Let's play some football! Oh, man, still got a little left, left, huh? The Rams sent a 33-year-old Jones to the San Diego Chargers in a multiplayer trade before the 1972 season. He spent two years with the Chargers, playing in his eighth Pro Bowl in 1972. He finished his career with the Washington Redskins in 1974. All told, Jones missed just five games out of a possible 196 during his 14-year career. It was a badge of courage for me to be out there when I was sick or hurt to meet you and let you look me in the face when the press has been talking all week about I ain't going to make it. And I want to surprise you on Sunday and look you in the eyes. Because if I beat you when I'm hurt, you know what I've done to your whole mentality? David, I welcome you to the National Football League Hall of Fame. Deacon Jones was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in his first year of eligibility in 1980. It's with great pleasure that I stand before you to receive the supreme recognition of the professional football world that honors the joy and admiration 
of one's own ability. I wasn't going to be a lawyer. I wasn't going to be a doctor. I wasn't going to be the president of the United States. I was destined, just like Ray Charles was born to sing the blues. Deacon was born to rush quarterbacks. He sure was. Yeah. Born to rush quarterbacks. Get chills kind of just listening to that. You know, when I first met him again, I mentioned at the top of the show when we had him in uh, interviewing him in a sort of a Hall of Fame roundtable, and Fouts was part of that. And, you know, you, you heard the stories of Deacon Jones and how he just did not like quarterbacks. Didn't like them. And I thought, you know, that was just the gag. Right. And it's not like he didn't, per- he personally liked Dan Fouts. And if they, they finished up, you know, you know, Dan Fouts, uh, when Deacon Jones uh, was in San Diego, he's a charger when Fouts started out. So they were teammates. They go way back. <laughs> so he loved Fouts. Met him, whatever, off camera. When Fouts started talking about being a quarterback, Deacon Jones really got pissed. <laughs> like his blood boil. He really did. You know, he really, really did. And so all of that stuff that you hear, he truly meant it. It really was part of his fabric and how he played the game and his mentality going out there and the professionalism that that he did. But just the the fury that he brought to his game, it was fueled. And whenever he was at a at a at a pro football hall of fame event and they were they were inducting quarterbacks, he he genuinely wasn't too pleased. <laughs> you know? He was happy for the guy. But he just quarterbacks for him was definitely something that he did not really, you know, like. <laughs> he just for the that's the you yeah, know, it wasn't the, an inside the lines thing. It was no, <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. You hear a lot of defenders say that it, it's it, it's not a. You just don't see that today, though, right? No, these guys are all hugging after, and which is is great too. But you don't see that. It's. I, I'm sure it has to do with also, you know, everyone's connected now. Those days you didn't know your opponent. Now you were just you'd show up in a bus and play. Just different times, man. Yeah. Different times. All right, let's get to our next guest. I could not be more pleased to speak to uh, our next guest, who knows Deacon better than anybody. Uh, she's the daughter of uh, George Allen and also uh, the narrator of the fearsome foursome football life that's going to be re-airing tonight on NFL Network at 8 Eastern time on Tuesday night, uh, the day that we uh, learned that uh, David Deacon Jones is no longer with us. Pleased to welcome to the Rich Eisen podcast, Jennifer Allen. How are you, Jennifer, on this tough day? Um, I'm doing okay. Taking in. <laughs> I appreciate you taking some time here. Um, let's just start with the man. When, when, when did you first, do you have a first memory of meeting Deacon, Jennifer? Well, <clears throat> I think, we, you know, we, we, were, we went back to the 60s when we were at the Rams, and my, it's my dad's first head coaching job, so I was pretty young. But my mom had this um, pregame ritual that started um, fairly early on um, while we were there. And what it was was that she had to meet Deacon at the top of the ramp at the tunnel at the Coliseum before the game. So we'd have to get there really early before he even, you know, got dressed. And she had to meet him to just further fire him up. Now, my mom, I mean, as if Deacon Jones needed to be further fired up, but he would wait for her. And, you know, my mom, my dad was such a puritan. My mom was this French, you know, profane-speaking, uh, chain-smoking 
um, you know, tornado. And Deacon loved her, and she loved him. I mean, they got along great. And he would just be waiting there. And she'd go, are you going to sock it to him, Deacon? You know, which was the expression back then. Right. Oh, I'm going to sock it to him. Are you going to really sock it to him? They would go back and forth. And um, I remember just standing very small, you know, um, and witnessing this um, this pregame ritual. <laughs> and uh, so there was there was that. There was Deacon, the, the person, um, you know, the man. Um, uh, and then there was, you know, every highlight film we watched in slow motion reverse of Deacon just dominating with sheer abandon the, the whole field. At the top of this podcast, Jennifer, we, you know, I tried to give the full tableau, you know, and we could sit here and talk about the head slap and the way he played the game. We all know he was an all-time great there. But the where he grew up, his collegiate experience at South Carolina State and then having to go to Mississippi vocational because of, uh, you know, his involvement in the civil rights movement, how, how much how much of all of that added to the fire of Deacon Jones when he played the game? I think a lot of it added to his fire, and and he had mentioned that. I mean, he was he grew up in the segregated South, and um, he experienced a fire hose. He experienced being uh, taken from Mississippi um, with the, the the guard that came in and some police that took them out and drove them to the state line and said, you're not welcome here. Him and his friends thinking they were dead. Um, he was drafted low. He was drafted, I believe, in the, in the 12th round. That's a 14th round pick. 14th round. And um, it was, you know, this was a person who was, the world was going to tell him he was an underdog. And um, he in his heart knew he was not an underdog and refused to be an underdog. And um, it certainly fueled his fire even more, certainly. What was the relationship between him and your dad like? Oh, it was great. I mean, my dad just, you know, my dad loved him. My dad loved him. My dad respected him. My dad admired him. My dad um, held him up uh, as a role model to us. If he saw any of us kids, you know, shirking any responsibilities at home, <laughs> whether it was like, you know, there was a piece of paper on the floor one time, I saw a little piece of paper. I, can't, I watched all you kids. You walk right past it. <laughs> no one's picked it up. You know, you don't, you don't see Deacon Jones, you know, backing off of his responsibility. So Deacon, Deacon was the, the man who he held up as, this is, this is, this is the, the threshold. This is the bar. Um, and, uh, and, and Deacon, in return, um, loved my dad and because he said it was the first coach who, who – um, who let him play with with complete freedom? Who didn't micromanage his you know his style or his passion or, or his his way that he could just break through? Um, who just as Deacon said once to me, he just let me free. He let me be free. So their relationship was very very strong. My my dad inducted Deacon into the Hall of Fame when my dad was put in the Hall of Fame. He had he had passed away, and we had Deacon induct my dad. Um, Deacon, when my dad passed away, suddenly was a pallbearer um, with my brothers at the funeral. So he's he's a part of our core in our family for sure. Well, what was it like when you told him that you you were naming your kid after? What do you say? Well, you know, it didn't. It well, well, how that happened, Rich, was we 
we had, my husband and I had our first son, and we named him Roman. Our last name was Richard, Roman Richard. We thought it sounded pretty good. Yeah. You know, Roman Gabriel, quarterback. Sure. And we got a lot of really, really nice phone calls and messages, you know, from Roman Gabriel. And that's a great, what a great name, Roman. <laughs> so we get this one call, and it's Deacon, and he's just livid. <laughs> Don't you understand anything, what your father was about? Once you under, it's always quarterbacks. I can't believe you named your son after a quarterback. And he would still, when he would see Roman, you know, he'd still give Roman a little, like, you know, a little bit of crap for having that name. Um, and uh, so uh, we knew, you know, my husband and I, look, we were all with the next one's deacon. So, um, you know, so you, that you, was just a given. You did it for, for self-preservation, essentially. <laughs> you know, well, you can't name one Roman and name the next one, like, you know, Bob. Right. I mean, you know, so, so there's so yeah. So we have a deacon, and uh, you know, I told Deacon last night because um, Deacon had been to uh, our deacon, little deacon. He's mm. not that little anymore. He'd been to Big Deacon's birthday party, surprise party um, they had for him last December. And I told him that Deacon had passed, and um, you know, he's got his jersey right above his bed, and mm. so you know, that name and that spirit's gonna be with me through through my life for sure what do you think deacon meant in terms of improving other players who have come after him we, we spoke to jack about what he's meant to the hall of fame and 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 how i mentioned how you could go to and we, we played warren Sapp's testimonial earlier and you could hear how broken up he was you could just go to pretty much any player uh, who has played certainly with distinction over the past 10, 15, 20 years, and they'll all have a Deacon Jones story because yeah. he reached out to them or was always open for someone to reach to him. And I'd love to know, you know, your thoughts on that. Well, you know, I think what, aside from the fact that he was an amazing athlete, an amazing player, um, you know, the physicality of him um, was was his passion was the fact that on the field and off the field, this was a man who spoke his truth, who played his truth, who lived his truth, was did, never candy-coated who he was, um, and, and, and played it and lived it in a time when it was a part-time job. It was a part-time job, and, and you barely made anything. And did, never shied away from what he believed in, never shied away to reach out a hand and try to rise somebody up um, with his spirit, with his encouragement, with his enthusiasm. Um, his heart was huge. And and I, I think a lot of people, I don't think there are a lot of people, I, can't, I really, I was thinking earlier today, I can't think of a lot of people who really are that unified in who they are and speaking their truth and being their truth all the time. Whether someone's going to like you or not, I'm sure he said a lot of things people didn't like. He, he, that's who he was, you know. And, um, and I think that a lot of players now, they, they, they respect that in him, and they see that in him. And um, I'm sure it, it brings a pause, you know, to some of them to look at themselves um, in, in their game and in their life. Right. I mean, just they, they, you know, you hear the phrase broke the mold. They, they really yeah. did, Jennifer. Yeah. Yeah. They really they did. did. Yeah. They, they for sure did. And, um, he will, he will, his, his gifts will live on 
for a long time, and, and a lot of it is thanks to NFL Films, I have to say, because all you have to do is watch just a few minutes of footage of him rushing, rushing right through that line, and it you see you see what he was about. You see his spirit moving through his body. See, it's one of those days where you know I was thinking this too. This is one of those days where to call I, I, I'd want to call up. My first thought is let's call Steve Sable. No, oh, what a year you know? it's been. <laughs> you know, my, tell my, me, tell <laughs> me. You know what I mean? Like uh, my no, first thought would have been like, let's let's hear what Steve would have to say no, here. I know, I know. I can't imagine what those two are up to now with my dad. <laughs> Holy moly! <laughs> what do you think they are talking about right now? I don't know, but they are plotting big time. <laughs> they are they're breaking a few rules for sure. Yeah, with Merlin too. Oh, Merlin man. too. I know. Jennifer, listen, I, I, I know it's a tough day. You know, uh, I know your brother must be broke. Your bo- brothers must be all broken yeah. up. Yeah. So I really appreciate you taking the time on a day like today and, and sharing these thoughts. It really means a lot. Well, I appreciate you you um, honoring all, uh, Deacon, too, as well, Rich. So thank you, and um, we'll be in touch. I hope so. We'll chat down the line. Thanks, Jennifer. Sounds good. You bet. That's Jennifer Allen on the Rich Eisen Podcast. That's Jennifer Allen, uh, everybody. She's the best. She's a writer by trade. You could tell how much Deacon means to her. Uh, a storyteller of, of, of the first rate. Uh, NFL Network, we've had her do so many different features that she's uh, tracked and voiced and reported and fronted in studio. I remember we would do so much stuff back in the day on Total Access. I couldn't thank her enough for being on this show. It was funny. You talk, we talked about uh, how Deacon just had a great disdain for quarterbacks, and she <laughs> named her first son Roman after yeah, and he, I know. After That's a what I'm quarterback. Saying. And he called her up. And Deacon got and, and, not too pleased about and it. And really aired her out. <laughs> yeah. That how dare you name your first son after a quarterback, and then her second son turned out to be Deacon. As, and the third was Lamar, right, for Lamar Lundy. was the, the third one. Exactly. As you mentioned, check it out, the, the fearsome foursome that she narrates yep. tonight. It's, it's a great Tuesday talk. night uh, on NFL Network. And, uh, again, we've mentioned so much throughout this podcast how Deacon has passed on the information to players who have come after him, and we've got one of them uh, right here uh, in our studio, three-time Super Bowl champion, Willie McGinnis. How are you, Willie? I'm great. Deacon. Let me lay that out there. When did you first meet him? When did you first meet him? Were you at UC- USC when you first no, met him? No, I, I met him once I was in the league. I think it was like at a Super Bowl party or one of these events. You know, they fly guys in to mm-hmm. uh, to, to to mingle with the younger players. And um, right off the bat, he is one of the most intense, passionate um Hating quarterbacks, right? It's, it's true, though, right? <laughs> it's the first I mean, thing. Well, he knew I was an outside linebacker, defensive end, right. so that came up immediately about you know the the pass rushes and getting to the quarterbacks and how you know he just his just dislike and it's not just the football thing. I mean, he just he, he, plain clothes, just walking around. He just can't stand quarterbacks. It's true. There's something about him he just didn't like. <laughs> and so he started was he was he immediately trying to make sure that you understood that role that you should play as a quarterback hating individual on the field did he, well, did he sort of kick your tires to make sure you had the right stuff I think that was just the way Deacon was um I don't walk around you know hating no. hating guys outside of the field but there is um 
there is a, I don't know if hate's the right word, but there is a, a great dislike. Dislike. You have to have when you're on the on on the field against your opponent, whether you make it up in your head, whether you build it up, whatever it is. As a defensive player, I think you have to have that inside you. Um, for me, I did. You know, I would find ways to get myself going, and find ways to not like something about players on the other team, whether they were friends or not, just to get me in that mindset to go out and want and want to really, you know, put a licking on them. But he, he's just—you're right. He just—he's from a different era. Yes. Where where the the dislike off the field. Even though he could personally like you as a, a person, when you mentioned the word quarterback, it really was like waving a red red flag in front of a bull. And it, it was legit. Yes. It was 100% legit. And you see him in a room at an event, and if a quarterback came around when he was talking, his whole mood would change. <laughs> Regardless of who the quarterback was. I mean, it could be a Hall of Fame. Yeah. It didn't matter. Joe Montana. Yeah, his mood would change. And he'd go into Roman, his quarterback. Like Gabriel walks over. Yeah. like his own quarterback. Yeah, he, I mean, it's, it's, it's just one of those things. And, you know, one time I was flying out to the Super Bowl. What am I happened to be next to him on a plane? And I was just – I just wanted to hear the stories and just talk to him about, you know, when he played. Because, of course, I wasn't born at the time. And he was – you know, some of the stories that he told me – what he had to go through. I mean, these guys, when he played, had regular jobs, steel mills, whatever it was. They had regular jobs, and then they would come play football. Football was their second job. There's no off-season workout there program. There is no off-season workout no. program. You come from, from work, and you get on the football field. There was an off-season work program. Yes. Not an off-season yes. workout program. To provide program. for the family. Correct. <laughs> to keep a roof over your head and yes. clothes on your back. Yes. These guys had to take second, sometimes even third jobs. And did he ever speak to you about uh, some of the racism that he had to encounter and, and some of those moments that he, he couldn't stay in certain hotels and yes. things of that nature? Did he yes. ever impart that stuff Yeah, he to talked you about it, and, that, and that's part of the struggle. That's part of, I don't know if that's part of some of the hate he built up, and he, he unleashed that on the field as well. You know, you say if you can't really do something outside of that, that where you're going to get yourself in trouble, well, now you got a playing field with two goalposts, and it's chalked off 53 yards across each side, and that's where you unleash all your anger from. I remember him telling me that. And that was his that was his that was his platform to just unleash all the probably the nor- the things that he had to go through normal life. What do you think about what he did in terms of changing the game, Willie? Where do you think he he stands on that? I think front? he's probably at what the highest level. Um, I mean, he talked about the sacks. <laughs> well, he created the word, right? He, he created. He laughs at guys now with the sacks. He was like, you know. I've rec- I've had twenty plus twenty six plus get, uh, years where I've had twenty six plus more sacks. So they just weren't counting. They it just back wasn't then. counting. He was like these numbers now. My numbers would blow them out of the water if they were counting sacks back then. Like he, he he's, he he was an interesting uh, interesting man. He was strong, um, prideful, prideful, big um, time prideful. He uh, he stood his ground and what he believed in. He really didn't care. He really didn't care what you thought. Either you was with him or you was on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> he had basically, he was a walking line of scrimmage yes. in front of him, right? Yes. I mean, it's incredible. Yes. I wish I, I wish I had the opportunity to just 
just to dig into him a little bit more and just and just learn a lot of, uh, you know a lot of things that that he had been through and ha- how he changed just listening to him talk I didn't say a word you know I would just ask questions and then he would just go on and if it's a two or three hour plane ride I, I, I'm just he probably wanted to go to sleep or whatever but we just got into these conversations that I seen him again in the airport and I went and sat right next to him and I just let him but he always but he was always from people who have told me he was always open oh yeah to that oh yeah absolutely where he never put up that wall absolutely like he loved meeting people certainly it's the position you played, right? I mean, that right then and there, it's like you 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 had a kinship, right? In that respect, right? Rich, so. I don't know when the last time was you requested a middle seat on a plane, but for that conversation with Willie on your left and Deacon on your right, that'd be a pretty awesome. You couldn't. Too. I don't think you could fit. Though. I don't know if you could fit. Yeah. You would have to fit, Rich. You would have to <laughs> squeeze in and just listen <laughs> and just listen. And, you know, you, you when he's talking, you're looking at his hands. I mean, this was a warrior. You're looking. You're just looking at the man like he's he's been through some some wars. Describe literally. the hands. Describe them. Disfigured. You know, they're all fingers going each and every way. And, of course, it was from a lot of times he would head slap the guys. Well, the word was, and this is a true story, the word was that um, that before the league stepped in and banned the head slap, the way offensive linemen would combat this would be to loosen the screws on their ah. helmet and make the 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 screw part longer so when his head slab came in it would enter his hand the that, screw would enter his hand that you heard wow. what he would do to combat that right which was tape a metal plate under his tape under his hand so he had a metal plate <laughs> this is before the league stopped that so he had a metal plate. I hadn't heard this one. On uh, under his under his hand under the tape. So when he hit you with that, whatever was falling out, you you felt it. This is like Mad Max. Yeah. This uh, this, this is a war. This is a war. It's not a football game. This is a war. That's why he had that mentality. Yes. Right. It's a di- different time. Right now. Yes. Now God. That's not the mentality nah, on the football field of now, course correct? Not. No, you couldn't play. You couldn't play that way. You never taped a metal game. plate in your. In your <laughs> here, here, this soundbite extra is one of... extra padding. <laughs> never a metal plate or something like that. Well, I mean, it, again, it's just not to get too in depth in this thing. But why do you think it's different now? Why do you think is is it the money? Is it free agency? Well, it's the safety. I think number one is the safety. I mean, we talk about head slaps and head injuries. And well, no, just in terms guys. of the, that's not a war mentality to the players out there. Why do you think it's different? It's a this our game is huge. I mean, it's so many billions of dollars, and it, it, the players are so precious to what you know to to what the NFL is. So it you have to have. I guess filters in the game. You got to be able to protect. You can't do certain things because if the players, the great players, aren't out there, or you got a couple of players eating them all up like a Deacon Jones, <laughs> knocking them all out of the game, mm-hmm. it just changes things. I just think that they, it, our game has gotten. I don't know if it's more physical or less physical because when you talk to Deacon, it was way more physical back then, and well, they I didn't mean, have a protection. Put- they didn't have a protection that we have now. Well, I mean, Willie, if you're talking about putting metal plates underneath your hand and people are doing stuff with their screws and their helmets to yeah. combat people slapping them, no face mask sometimes. I mean, if you, if you go way back, I mean, the game was way safer now to me than it I was. Think so. way think about back helmet then. helmet technology back then. Well, pad pads pads and stuff yeah, like that. Pads. I mean, it's, it was nothing. It was nothing compared to the cliques, the shoes they wore. 
So, but if but if you're more padded though, then the idea might be so it's you could have more of a warrior or wartime mentality out there. They didn't there. have it though. He had it without the without all the, the crazy. The, just a different time. Yeah. Anything else you want to add about Deacon? No, no. Nah, he was just one of our great one of our great warriors of this game. Had a lot of respect for him. Um, watched his film, watched his tape, loved his interviews, his sound bites. And, uh, you know, we, we, we lost one of the great ones. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of, uh, a lot of people can look at Dinkin and say, you know, he, he played the game like no other in his time. Even now, I don't know anybody that plays like that. So, well, I'm, I'm glad you, you and stopped him to say that. Yeah, yeah again, the Deacon man. Jones Foundation, which uh, which is something people should go and uh, go online and check out. Um, it helps um, uh, inner city youth, which is something that uh, that Deacon's been uh, yep. been He's pounding the table that. about for many, many, many years. Willie, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Rich. That's Willie McGinnis here. I want to thank Jennifer Allen, and I want to thank, obviously, uh, Jack Youngblood. He was at TheBlood85, at Willie McGinnis on Twitter. Um, and it's only fitting that we would leave the last word on this podcast to the man himself, to Deacon Jones. At Chris Law, correct? Yeah, we have. Uh, this is actually his induction speech into the Hall of Fame. Uh, so we'll leave the podcast out with uh, with with um, that. So that's for at Chris Law and at Chris Brockman. I'm at Rich Eisen for at the Eisen Podcast. You heard Jennifer Allen say that her dad, George Allen, presented Deacon Jones for enshrinement in the Pro Football Hall of Fame back in 1980. And this is what we heard after that. David Deacon Jones, a man for all seasons, but particularly for this season. David, I welcome you to the National Football League Hall of Fame. Commissioner Roselle, Mr. Schreiber, Mayor Kamick, fellow entrainees, and Hall of Fame presenters. Violence, in its many forms, is an involuntary quest for identity. When our identity is in danger, we feel certain that we have a mandate for war. In 1957, David Jones, a tough, unwavering, outspoken student from the predominantly black South Carolina State College, declared his own private war against the racial injustices that were prevalent at the time the inadequacies, the inadequacies facing, facing him in education, in sports, and in business, and launched his own campaign of aggression against a group of society that would spark his persistence and determination to reinforce his identity for many years to come. This quest for identity had its roots in Eatonville, Florida, when at the age of 15, there were no neighborhood boys clubs, there were no local YMCAs, there were no Pop Warner Little Leagues to direct and channel that energy of eager, of an eager youth and a, with lofty aspirations. Thus, the private battle began with David, forced by circumstances of his surroundings to formulate his own game plan, devise his own strategies, never losing sight of that vision of success. That self-determination would lead him to develop the nickname Deacon, to institute the head slap, for which would eventually be outlawed and the creation of the term sacking the quarterback. <laughs>
It is with great pride that I reminisce with you today about that young, tenacious student who remained true to his vision, and it is with great pleasure that I stand before you to receive the supreme recognition of the professional football world that honors the joy and admiration of one's own ability. Early in life, I learned that all life is a purposeful struggle, and our only choice being the choice of a goal. I'd like to dedicate the honor bestowed on me today to my father, Ishmael, who was so decisively instrumental in my development in football and who stimulated in me that desire to excel. He passed away after seeing me reach the high point of my career, and this prestigious award is dedicated to him. There's a lady in the audience today who is and has been my second best rooter and supporter. Although she knows little about the actual game of football and despises violence in any form, she's very proud of my success and because of her prayers, her thoughtfulness and her admiration physically got me through it all, my mother, Maddie Jones. And to the lady who packaged the entire deal, who sat with me through the bad and the good, whose admiration, devotion, and encouragement has remained steadfast, who shares my determination, and who's still hanging in there, my devoted wife, Aretha. I would be remiss if I didn't thank my college coach, Dr. Roy D. Moore, who taught me the basic will to win, to persevere. My college teammates, some in the audience today, they deserve a great deal of credit for their help and support. It has been said that the man who produces an idea in any field of endeavor, the man who discovers new knowledge, is the permanent benefactor of humanity. The man who discovers my knowledge and ability, who channeled it, refined it, and without whose guidance I would not be here today, Coach George Allen. Thank you very much, Coach. And to the team effort a philosophy that still permeates all aspects of my life today, a personal thanks to each and every one of the fine athletes who played with me for 11 years with the Los Angeles Rams, two years with the San Diego Chargers, and one year with the Washington Redskins, with whom I share those five points that make a champion, teamwork, hard work, pride, determination, and competitive spirit, and who shares with me, as all champions do, that feeling of excitement of solving problems, the delight in taking up a new challenge, and the eagerness to meet another harder test. The Secretary of Defense would like to leave you with one last thought. Every man is free to rise as far as he's able or willing, but it is only the degree to which he thinks and believes that determines the degree to which he'll rise. Thank you very much. And for all of us here at the Medill School of Journalism, Thanks for joining us. I'm Richard Eisen. Stay listening, dear friends.